Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I mean, it all sounds cliche, right? Because we've heard it growing up, we've heard it all of our lives, but it's really about understanding it, harnessing it, and applying it. You can't give up. You have to believe that you can do it because nobody's going to have more faith in you than you're going to have in yourself, right? And there are going to be obstacles thrown at you left and right, and if you allow yourself to be knocked over by those, most of the times there's not going to be anybody there to pick you up. So you have to believe in your ability to get up time and time again and keep forging ahead. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I'm so excited because I have Mona Scott Young here, an entrepreneur, a person who is one of the biggest people in her world. And I've been trying to get her here since 1977. It's been unbelievable. Finally here. It's been since I heard Beat It on the radio that, that I tried asking her to come here. And she's here. And I'm grateful. And I thought somebody you're trying to get for a long time comes here, that they'd come here and they'd have an attitude or they'd be upset or they'd be like, fucking podcast i hate i just why did i agree to this shit but no i always say there's five things if you have five things in your life you are never going to have a problem here's my five ready cover your mouth and your nose and look in the mirror okay look at your eyes if they sparkle if they just light up that's number one The eyes are the window to the soul. Mona's eyes light up. They're warm, they're inviting, they're kind, but they're also really, really powerful. Number two, cover your eyes and your nose and look in the mirror if you can through a finger and look at your mouth and your smile. And if you have that smile that automatically the heavens open up and the light shines down and you have charisma, that's number two. Look around, everybody. Go around in the mall, walk around wherever you are, look and see how many people have charisma. You can count it on half a hand, but Mona Scott Young has charisma. That's number two. Number three, everybody, put your hand right on your heart because you have heart and you can tell when somebody has heart when they walk in a room. You can't fake heart. You either have it or you don't and it just 
comes in the room and it just grabs you and then you're like, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. Number four, everybody, point your fingers on both sides of your head where above your ears and you have your brain and your emotional intelligence and your intellectual intelligence. And if you have the emotional intelligence, which is something that you have that navigates you through life and how you deal with different emotional situations and tragedies and things like that that might happen in your life and how you process them and get them all taken care of within so you can move past them and be great. That's the emotional intelligence. And the intellectual intelligence is the ability to have the brain power to function in this world with some of the smartest people in the world, even if you didn't go to college like Mona. And number five is look at yourself in a full-length mirror and look at yourself and see how you put yourself together and how you go out into the world and how you show the world who you are and how you dress and how you present yourself and how you physically are and the beauty that you have not only on the outside but on the outside and how you put it together and that's number five and if you have all five of those things like Mona Scott Young you are going to be in a situation where you're going to be able to take anything you want and win. The only way you can lose is if you're self-destructive, if you do drugs or if you're an addict or if you're drinking or if for some reason you have emotional problems or things like that. But the bottom line is, is that if you have those five things, you're going to be able to apply yourself anywhere and you're going to be able to get out of any bad situation you're in and make it a great situation. And... Secondly, if you can find your lane, if you can have a vision of where you belong in the world and what part of that world you belong in. In Mona's case, she found her lane with the love and hip hop franchise and the African-American entrepreneurs and the drama surrounding love, music and success and conflict. And those four things that she worked on. She looked at that and she said, you know what? That's where I'm going to be most successful. That's where I'm going to be able to make my mark. And you ride that lane as far as you can, as long as you can, until people know you and they trust you. And then you're ready to enter another lane of business, which Mona, I'm sure we'll talk about, is most certainly about to enter as well. So you see a lane that you have for television and then you think, okay, well, let me take this lane to film. Let me take this lane a different way. And then when I exhaust every cylinder in the engine of that lane, I now have all five tools with me that I can take anything and anybody will follow me to the depths of hell and chase me like my ass is on fire to work with me because I present an atmosphere that's really phenomenal. So my lesson today, if there is a lesson here in this cold open is if you see yourself as the kind of person who can put those five tools together and you have those five tools and you can find your lane, let me tell you something. You'll have an excellent chance of having the kind of career that Mona Scott Young has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now? I'm on the air. 
Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Okay, I want to go way back. We've talked a lot about your childhood, but I just want to go way back to a point where you first had the vision. I think I want to be in this entertainment business. Mm -hmm. You you get off the plane in New York City, and Mm -hmm. what are you thinking when you get off the plane? Are you thinking, I'm going to experience the American dream, or do you have any idea what you're going to do, or... Do you have a sort of a no, vision? No idea whatsoever. And I'm always very honest about that because I, you know, got here, went to high, you know, got into high school. I went to Park West High School in the, you know, west side of Manhattan and got up every day, went to school, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, thought I was going to go to college, you know, did that one year in college, realized that mm, this probably isn't conducive to me being able to pay rent because um, it was time for me to move out and get my own place. And um, I did that and started working jobs. I can't ever remember a time where I had one job. It was always kind of multiple jobs, figuring it out. But I always knew that there was this... Um, this sense that I was destined for something. Had no idea what it was, but you know, you feel it inside you. I'm supposed to be doing something and it'll reveal itself to me magically one day. Um, I got the job at the placement firm, um, hired Stephanie Gale, who is still with me to this day, because that's another thing that I'm definitely proud of my, the connections that I made early on in my life that still to this day are a big part of, you know, how I function on a day to day. Relationships, Um, everybody. Relationships are absolutely everything. Um, But I always say like that, working at Radio City probably was my first interaction with working at the placement firm told me that I wanted to be in business for myself because here I was surrounded by all of these women. It was a, you know, female owned firm. All of her associates or associates were women. And that was kind of a very intentional thing. Um, Roz Goldfarb, her name just came to me in that moment. But uh, so I remember going, wow, this is really amazing. Women doing this, owning business, their own business and, you know, making it happen. And, and watching them juggle family and all that and going like, oh, okay, you can do it all. So that to me was very um, instructive. And I, I remember realizing at that moment that I'm going to be in business for myself. No idea what it's going to be, but I'm going to be doing it for myself. And then Radio City was kind of like, oh, well, this is glamorous in this entertainment industry. I wasn't one of those people that was into music, listened to the radio, you know, into fan, uh, a pop culture and, you know, fans of people, none of that stuff. Like, again, it was working, trying to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. How do I pay this rent? How do I send money back home to my mother? How do I pay these bills? Um, so you were conscious of sending money back to your mom? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, that riff did not last for long. <laughs> my mother, you know, my mother and I have this symbiotic relationship. She's the air that I breathe. And the, the the reason I get up every morning and I firmly believe that her prayers are what keeps me safe and alive every single day that I'm living. But she's maddening and infuriates me and, you know, is is stubborn and drives me insane, you know. So my, my dynamic and relationship with my mother is one that I can't imagine doing without but can't take for more than two minutes at a time. 
It's you know, it's interesting, but. Um, and so you take the gig at Radio City. I imagine there's ads for all different kinds of jobs. I mean, you have a vision the, like when you're looking at the post and you're like uh, circling this one, this no, one. No, it was like, oh, they've got flexible flexible hours. I can work at Ross Goldfarb's and do this because they have, you know, night hours and weekend hours. This is great. It, you know, I can. So that was all it was, was flexible hours. Flexible hours, keeping up, you know, my more than one job at a time you know, lifestyle that I had been leading. So tell me the first moment that happens at Radio City. And if you've never been to Radio mm. City Music Hall, it's a magical, magical time. And it was during the holidays. So there's that Christmas spectacular that happens, right? So that is even more magical than anything else that goes on at Radio City. So that was kind of my, there is a whole other world that I don't even, you know, know about, operate within, and here are these people who, you know, I, I operated the elevators for a time, and that's where the celebs would, you know, ride up and down the elevators, and you'd you'd see the people that were around them, and I'm like, oh, there are people who aren't on stage, but behind the scenes doing stuff for them. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of the first interaction, but I probably would say dancing was when, because that was something that I literally just stumbled into, had no idea that I could do it or not. That was kind of my real, oh, this entertainment industry might be something that I want to know more about and want to venture into. Because that led to artist development and, you know, my working with um, artists, talent, and that's how I met the Trackmasters. So I would say like dancing was kind of that first domino that got tipped. Got it. And the first client that you worked with as a manager where you said to yourself, I'm never doing anything else again, what happened? Um, it was working, I was working with the A-team and I was working with them doing artist development and that came as a result of the dancing and, you know, the staging and, and, you know, stage presence and stuff. And one thing led to another and before you know it, I was getting more and more involved with their careers and they were produced by these guys out of Brooklyn, the Trackmasters. And so the Trackmasters were the one who approached me and said, listen, we've been watching the way you're moving with the guys. We definitely think you should consider coming on board and working with us. And I'm like, what capacity? You know, you could be our manager. You're frigging out of your minds. I don't have the first idea of what to do with you guys. I don't know anything about music or the music industry. And that was, you know, my first kind of inkling that, okay, maybe there is a career here. Maybe if I can figure this thing out um, and, and teach myself the ropes, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be going. Because um, one of the things that I do constantly is I'm always going, okay, God, what is it? Tell me where it's coming from. I don't know what the next clear lane is, but like reveal it to me. And sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, but it's usually like almost a a path that just appears sometimes out of nowhere. And that Trackmasters moment was that because there was nothing you could have said to me in a million years that would have ever led me to believe that, you know, I'd be managing producers. I didn't listen to the radio. <laughs> Do you know how bizarre that is? Incredible. I think about being a manager, you're always trying to protect your clients. You're always trying to figure out those things. And you start the love and hip hop franchise. You you know they want something different. You come to them with an oh, idea. we fast forwarded. So take me through the management business and and what was happening because in management, let's face it, just like love, 
there's good and there's bad. And there's and, lots of ugly. And there's no. ugly. And one of the things that I'm fascinated by you is because when I'm around you, I feel I feel like everything's going to be okay. Just like I feel like in myself, like I try to put off. <clears throat> but sometimes the artist puts you in positions as a manager where you have to be the bad guy or the bad girl. All the time. And you, it creates this human stain between your relationship and these people, how did you navigate those tough situations when an artist put you, without mentioning any names, can you say a situation that you were put into that you just couldn't believe it, but you had to navigate it to get them in the right place and how it affected you mm -hmm. going forward my with the, with the artist and the relationship? Right. I mean, I could think of so many of them because like you said, it's about, you know, you having, trying to maintain your relationships above and beyond your clients. Cause a lot of times they can come in and completely um, destroy them. But I always opted for honesty right? Just being transparent. And, and the thing that comes to mind is like a lot of times I'd have clients who would commit to things and then just decide for whatever reason they weren't going to, you know, do it. So it wasn't about me making up some cockamamie excuse and lying because I always felt like at that point, not only am I compromising my own integrity, but I'm potentially damaging this relationship that I have that I might need to tap into for another client. But let's say the artist is a huge money-making artist for you and they say, listen, don't tell them the truth. Tell them this. Oh, no. I would always go, don't tell me how to handle it. Let me do my job. You know, when you get on the stage, that's your job. Let me do my job. Don't tell me how to handle the situation. Just trust that it's going to be handled. And I think, you know, that sense of confidence that you mentioned, the feeling like everything's going to be okay, is what was probably my strongest, you know, skill set. And I think it also served me when I was dealing with the clients and stuff. It was, the conversations were tough, but I would go like, listen, I, I'm not going to bullshit you and give you some bullshit excuse about why this is not happening. This is where we are with this right now. And for a lot of times I'd already figured out what I had to do to make it right whether it was refunding that money, coming up with a makeup gig, having somebody else to offer up in their stead. But I was never going to call somebody and insult their intelligence because uh, most of the times my talents, reputations preceded them, right? So it was about me maintaining my reputation. And so what people knew when they were dealing with me is, okay, I'm willing to go and, and give it a shot with this client who I otherwise would not be messing with because the reputation is this, because I know if nothing else, Mona's going to keep it straight with me. And if we can pull it off, she's going to make sure it happens. And if we don't pull it off, I'm not going to get screwed completely. There's going to be, you know, some fix that we can work around, something that we can, you know, figure out. I think also I minimize lawsuits. I would say it all the time. Like I've saved you so much money in friggin' lawsuits because of my ability to manage a bad situation. Tell me an artist that. Buster. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, he's the answer to everything when it comes to management. <laughs> hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, 
and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. No, what was the question? Tell me a situation that an artist wouldn't mind you sharing where you were put in the craziest situation you could ever imagine in your life and you laugh about it now. Tell me a situation where you resigned from working with an artist. Oh, my God. And tell yeah. me a situation where an artist fired you when you thought you did a great job. Ah. You know what's crazy? I don't think I've ever had the last one happen. I would say we've mutually parted ways, but I've never got a, you're fired. You know what I'm saying? It was like, again, that connection, this isn't working out for either of us. Let's call, you know, let's keep it a hundred. Um, I've had those conversations, but no, wow. Knock on wood. But going back to the other two, one of the craziest situations I've ever been in, I remember this so clearly because my neighbors ribbed me about it to this day because I tied one on so completely and fell asleep on their patio furniture. <laughs> and my husband got up in the morning and was like, where the hell is my wife? And found me sprawled out on my neighbor's deck on their furniture. But um, we were going to Africa. We were doing a show. I had Missy, Fifty. And Busta, I think, taking them all over. And there were like millions of dollars involved with this show. And uh, we had worked out a charter. We were supposed to do a private charter. And the promoter in the 11th hour would not go with the charter company that we had vetted completely and decided that we were going to have to get on his plane, which nobody was comfortable with. But this thing was so airtight, and I think there was like a loophole where we didn't specify that it had to be our charter, so therefore he was in the right with saying, you're going to use my plane that I'm using, and if you don't, you're in breach of contract. And everyone banded together and decided they were not getting on that plane. And they did not, and, the, and we did not end up getting on that plane. This was a major festival. I want to say it was like in Nigeria. It was a massive major festival, and... All of our acts bailed and never, and so millions of dollars lawsuit. So it you was played bananas. Poker with the guy, and the guy didn't just say at the last minute, "Okay, I'll pay for the." No, film. nope. Why would he, he was do like, that? Because he was an a hole, and he was just penny you know, and pound foolish, and decided he was not going to do it. And it was a little bit of a control thing, where he was just like, "You're going to take my plane," not you know. Um, and it was it became a pissing match and we didn't end up doing the show and of course got embroiled in this nasty lawsuit and it was just ugly, ugly, ugly. So that was one of my and that was one of those moments where I was like, holy shit, I can't do this for much longer. The stress level, the anxiety that was like horrific across the board. And because it involved all of my clients and, you know, I'm bearing the brunt of the fact that there was this loophole that. He had every right. Plus, you lost all that money. Plus, I lost all that money, which that's what's weird about me. It was always more about doing that great business and having a successful, you know, show go off. And the money was great. But if the money fell apart because my clients decided they weren't going to do it or for whatever reason, I was OK with that. I was OK. I, I never chased the checks. Right. Because I always felt that was short sighted. It was always about like, look at this. We got this under our belt. One more notch and we can, you know, build on this. 
Um, and then the moment that I said, I'm done, I wonder if he's ever told this story himself, but um, I had already started doing television at this point. I was, I transitioned and left Violator and had started Mona Me, and I was still booking dates for Busta. And Busta would give you the most outrageous tall orders, right? It would be like, yo, Mona, I just saw this house that I want to buy. I'm going to need $350,000 by tomorrow. You know, and it's like, where am I pulling this out of my, you know? And, you know, he was still out there doing shows, but it certainly wasn't at the height of his career where we could command, you know, those kinds of dollars. But I was able to, again, tap into a relationship, made a phone call, got him, you know, um, overseas, south of France. What happened? Cannes. They would have all those parties and stuff. All expenses paid, beautiful, all you have to do, 20 minutes at a walkthrough, 100% up front, which you know, nobody wants to pay 100% up front, especially on an overseas gig, because they have no idea if you're going to get on that friggin' plane, right? The best you can get is 50% up front, 100% up front, so he made his deadline with whatever he was trying to buy at the time, whatever trinket he was trying to buy, so it's over, does this happen like... Over holiday weekend, right? Is it Labor Day? Yeah. That that happens. So it's Labor Day and I am the party house, right? Every holiday, all my family comes over. I've got a house full of people. We're cooking in the backyard, enjoying ourselves. My phone is blowing up like crazy. And there's like the time difference. So I'm like, oh my God, it's like midnight over there. Why the hell is he calling me? Show isn't even, a party isn't even until tomorrow. I pick up the phone and Busta is going bananas, bananas, right? Yo, fuck this. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? And I'm going to tell this story, Buster, because it was so friggin' ridiculous. <laughs> the kitchen is closed and I can't have breakfast. You're calling me in New Jersey because the kitchen in the south of France is closed and you can't have eggs, right? So that was the first phone call. <laughs> call the promoter who got his, the chef in the hotel up to make him breakfast. Then I got another call closely followed, going crazy again. They have no rosé cristal. <laughs> you know I only drink rosé cristal. I was like, he's friggin' kidding me, right? <laughs> you know, but like every cuss word you could think, because he's like losing it over the fact that they don't have. And I said, you know what, Buster? I'll get this rosé. And it's so funny, because I remember that day. I was on my, <laughs> and my fingers were just flying, right? And I looked down, and I realized I was writing him a resignation letter. And this is like, I had been managing Buster for like 18 years at that point, 19 years, you know, and I was just like, I I'm done. Oh my God. And I'm, my fingers, are, and I'm like, I'm really done. I'm writing this thing. <laughs> Holy shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm pressing sand. And I was like, I spoke to the promoter. He's going to deliver your rosé, but Buster, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I've never told this story. I'm sorry, Buster. I love you. Um, Did he fight to have you back? Not at first, because he's, he's got his pride, you know. But I also think he didn't believe me. I think he thought, ah, she'll get over it, you know. But at the time, my focus had already shifted, and a lot of me staying involved with him had more to do with my love for him and the fact that we were family. We grew up together in this game, you know. I was there 
Well, day one of his solo career. That's one of the things that you just said about a half hour ago about your mom. Mm -hmm. You love her so much, but then she drives you crazy. And there was a lot, but there was also, for me with my clients, there was also a lot of, and it's an enabling, because we're enablers too as managers. Like, who else is going to do this? Who else is going to put up with this crap? Who else is going to, you know, and probably tons of people for the money, right? But for me, it needed to be about more than that, because I was also the person that he relied on to get him through the tough situations, to make things okay with the promoters and the people he was in business with to take care of him. So um, a big part of, I think, what I bring to the table is both a manager and what has served me as a producer is the caretaker in me. You know, I'm a mama. Tell me how you feel the love and hip hop thing came together creatively for you mm. and your vision of this show. And when did you know that, holy shit, this is going to be a huge hit. I can't believe one of my first, if not my first mm, thing right? mm. that I ever created and put together in my life. Mm -mm. You know how rare that is? I've heard. So tell and me. I've, and I've been trying to capture that, <laughs> and you, you know, ever since. Um, I, you know, the, the show actually started out as something that Yandy, to her credit, had sold into VH1 to Jim Ackerman. Um, she had Jim Jones as a client when she left Violator. She took on Jim. She was managing him. And when I left Violator to start Mona Me, she came back into the fold, brought Jim as a client. And at that point, I had also started making the rounds and really trying to, you know, develop the television business for Mona Me. And she was like, I have this project with Jim. We've had it at VH1 for some time. I don't know what they're going to do with it. We've been you know, we shot a pilot because they had shot something, um, but it isn't taking off. And she mentioned Jim Ackerman, who I had just, you know, met and connected with. And Jim reached out to me and said, listen, I love this idea of doing a show with this guy. But what we got on tape isn't quite working because at the time, Jim had gone through some traumatizing things. One of his guys and his crew had gotten killed. He didn't want to be bothered. So Stefan and, and Toby, who are to this day my partners at Eastern, were, you know, tiptoeing around this crazy rapper and trying to get him to participate in a reality show against his will. And it was almost like the anti-reality show because he was like, get these cameras out of my face. I thought it was kind of cool, but apparently it wasn't what VH1 was looking for. And Jim was like, you know, we've got to broaden this out. So we shot another pilot when I came on board, something that incorporated, you know, Chrissy, Jim's girlfriend more and his mom more. And that was like Jim and the Family Jones. And it was a little bit more of a family show and it was a broader show. Um, but what we found was that, you know, we need to open up the world some and see kind of more of Chrissy. Um, and Jim and I talked, Jim Ackerman and I talked about it a lot. And they were all of these ensemble, these female ensemble shows that were um, gaining popularity, the Housewives of Atlanta and, and those other shows. And I know a lot about the world, right? Having lived it and a, a lot about the women who navigated the world was spending a lot of time with Chrissy and hearing the challenges that, you know, that she was facing in her relationship and correlating them to all of the women that I knew who had dated all of the rappers that I represented and was like, this is unique to this space. Not a lot of women in different facets of the world, African-American or otherwise, going to put up with a lot of the things that, you know, these men put these women through. And again, like some of these women dating them for years, there's no prospects of marriage. No, you know, he's having kids outside of the relationship. What exactly is your end game? What is your game plan for your life, right? What do you want to do? And they all had their own hopes and dreams, but they deferred them and put them on the back burner because it was all about either being arm candy 
or being his support system, right? And, and so the opportunity to pull the curtain back on this world, showcase these women's lives, and hopefully in the process, give them a platform, right? Like, you're going to live this life regardless of whether or not my cameras are rolling. Here's an opportunity to use it, leverage it, flip it, and reverse it however you need to, but like take back the control, right? And if you decide during the course of this that you want to, you know, walk away from this, more power to you. And if you decide in the course of this that you want to stick with this because this is your life and you're going to live it the way you see fit, more power to you because this is a judgment-free zone. This is just about giving you this platform and giving the world an opportunity to see what your life is like because people are curious, you know, and they want to know. And when did you know that it was a juggernaut? It's interesting because that first season didn't rate very well. You know, I mean, I, it rated okay when I look at what some of the other shows rate, you know, in first season. I'm like, what the hell was I complaining about, you know? But it certainly wasn't the numbers that we got, you know, in second season and beyond. I think after that first season, there was a lot of conversation about whether or not they were even going to bring it back. Jim Ackerman was like the fiercest, you know, advocate in that building and knew that we had something special. And he was like, they're bananas, you know? We're giving people a glimpse into a world that this is why they read the tabloids. This is why, you know... This is what they want to know. Um, I think it's when we started witnessing the conversation that was still happening long after not only the show went off air on that Monday night, but when the season was over, it was still kind of like, oh, do you remember this? And when are they coming back? And, when are, and we were like, wow, we've tapped into something. We've connected in a way that is bigger than just the TV show. They're tapping into the lifestyle. Which is always, I mean, when you think about management and branding, that's one-on-one, right? Offer up a lifestyle, not a thing, not a person, not a lifestyle, a brand that they can connect to. And that's what we did with Love & Hip Hop. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. All right, six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay. You tell me what comes to mind. Okay. All right. Ja Rule. What comes to mind immediately is the gruff voice. <laughs> I don't know. I think about, you know, his voice. Is that, am I playing this game right? Yes, you are, because I always <laughs> say you can name that tune in three notes. You know they're going to be a star. If you have that voice. Yep. Mariah Carey. 
Oh, God, I sound so redundant saying that voice. Um, no, I think about little lambs running in a field. You know? I wasn't there that whole period where everyone was lamb <laughs> with Mariah. So, yes, I think about little Bo Peep. <laughs> Fantasia. I don't know that I think there's emotion when I hear Fantasia. Right. I managed Fantasia for a while and she was one of those roller coaster relationships for me because she was at a point in her life where she was sowing her wild oats and out there having a great time. But she was such an amazing talent that it would be so frustrating when I couldn't pin her down and get her to focus. And it would drive me crazy until I would be backstage in the wings and she would open up that damn mouth and I would get goosebumps and I would go, OK, that's why I'm doing this. You know, so Fantasia is a feeling for me. Q-tip. Oh, I think about the voice. I think about the righteousness. You know, I think Q-tip is the abstract. Yeah. The track masters. Oh, my God. Those guys are always going to have a special place for me, Uh, especially Alex Richburg, because Alex is the reason I'm here. Alex is the reason that I am doing what I do. He convinced me that I could. Amber Rose. Oh, my God. That's my girl. She's badass bitch. That's what I think about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Jocelyn Hernandez. She's my other badass, but I call her my brat. Like, Jocelyn has so much you know, love and so much potential, but it's mired in, like we talked about earlier, you're the product of the life you've led, the circumstances you've had, the, you know, experiences that have shaped who you are. And Jocelyn, I I just want her to overcome that. I want her to be who she's destined to be. You meet that girl. Her presence is, you know, you know, you're in the presence of someone who's meant to be a star. I want her to clear the cobwebs and be that. Missy Elliott. Oh, Missy Elliott is, she's my friend, she's my client, she's one of those people that you think about are not of this planet. I think that's how people thought of Michael Jackson. That's how I think of Missy, because she lives her life in such a cocoon, you know, and it's intentional. And it's because she's a special talent. So when I think about Missy, I think protective, you know. Awesome. Three quick things. Your proudest moment in show business. Oh, God, my proudest being able to reinvent myself and still be here today to talk about it. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. That my partner, Chris Lighty, took the route that he did and I am never giving up. Awesome. Last question. You've seen a lot of artists. You've seen a lot of entrepreneurs. Tell our audience what it takes for a young person who's a teenager going through a lot of difficult times Mm -hmm. to fight through and become the kind of executive you become Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur and tell the artist out there who has a dollar and a dream Mm -hmm. what it will take for them to get to the next level. What qualities does it take? 
I mean, it all sounds cliche, right? Because we've heard it growing up, we've heard it all of our lives, but it's really about understanding it, harnessing it, and applying it. You can't give up. You have to believe that you can do it because nobody's going to have more faith in you than you're going to have in yourself, right? And there are going to be obstacles thrown at you left and right. And if you allow yourself to be knocked over by those, most of the times there's not going to be anybody there to pick you up. So you have to believe in your ability to get up time and time again and keep forging ahead. Educate yourself. Know whatever it is that you're trying to get into. We didn't even get into this, but when I said I never listened to the radio, I had no idea how music was made. And I spent nights at the studio watching these guys work and understanding what every knob did so that I could best represent them. You have to know the business that you're in and apply yourself to that, doing that homework and getting that information under your belt. Um, you know, an educated, you know, consumer or whatever, an educated person is the best. It's, it's rooted in truth. And when I say education, I don't mean book smarts because Lord knows I never went to college. I'm talking about knowing your business and knowing what it's going to take and having a plan for what it's going to take to get you to where you're trying to go. Awesome. Mona Scott King, you blew me the fuck away. Did you just call me Mona Scott King? Mona Scott Young. (laughs) And I actually was going to applaud him for saying my full name every single time because nobody friggin' does that. And in the final outro, but you know what? That was perfect because you were so perfect the entire time. That that just humanized you in a way that I appreciate. So, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you were great. No, I definitely enjoyed this. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. For your you. time and your energy and, and your research. It was wonderful. And I just want to remind everybody, please check out her new series, Money, Power, Respect on WeTV, Love and Hip Hop, Atlanta spinoff. Stevie and Jocelyn take LA on VH1. Mona Scott King, amazing. Thank you so much. And he did it again. I did it again. <laughs> Mona Scott Young. No, no keep it that I can't do it. I can't believe this. The publicist care is going to kill me. Thank God there's editing, everybody. <laughs> As always, this has been Industry Standard with me. Barry Katz, and if you like the show, tell all your friends, and if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money, drop that fancy car, all the people love you, cause you're going far, life is for the dreamers, they It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.